want to begin today by asking you a question. And I want you to answer it as honestly as you can. So are you ready? Here is the question. Of all the virtues that you think that you have, how far up or down the list would you say is patience? On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you say your patience lay? If you're a couple watching this or listening or a family watching or listening, uh, no doubt you'll give somebody that knowing look as if to say, ha ha, well, I, I know where you are on the list. But actually, if all of us would just stop to think for a moment, if we just think that question through, I think that we would have to admit that all of us has got some patience in some things, and yet in other things we're very, very impatient. Of course, it depends on the circumstances. Generally speaking, I believe that we're all becoming a little bit more impatient. Uh, it seems to be the world is speeding up, and we're having trouble keeping up. And so we become a little bit impatient. So much today is instant, isn't it? Instant food, instant coffee, instant information, just a click of a mouse, and lo and behold, you get the answer that you're looking for. Before passenger aircraft flights started to cross oceans, uh, it, would, it took about six weeks by, by boat to get to Australia. And now you can get there in just over 24 hours. The astronauts who are manning the International Space Station up there used to take them three days to get there. Now they can get in less than 24 hours. It seems the whole world is in a hurry to do what they ever need to do. And naturally speaking and biblically speaking, patience is invariably linked to perseverance, to endurance, to long-suffering. All these things go together. If you're going to be patient, you're going to have to endure some things. You're going to have to persevere to get where you need to go or to be what you need to be. Have you ever considered the patience of the Lord Jesus himself? Have you ever thought how incredibly patient Jesus was and even is today? Imagine for, for 30 years, uh, he spent his life in a, in a little backwater obscure town called Nazareth in Galilee in a very small country. And he, he spent most of his days in that carpenter shop of Joseph's. And he was almost anonymous. We just get a glimpse of his greatness and what he was going to be when he was 12 years old in the temple. And he was talking to those learned doctors and theologians. And he was confounding them with his wonderful knowledge of the questions he could ask and the questions he could answer. And think of the patience he must have had growing up within his own family. Not one of his brothers or sisters, not one of them believed he was who he was, not one of them. And yet in all that time, he knew who he was. He knew what he had come to this world to do. He knew the mission that was before him. And yet he had to wait and wait and wait. He was born into this world to do the Father's will. And it was such a, a wonderful thing he had to do. And it was going to cost him everything to do it. And yet... He had to wait and wait and wait. Children are not very good at waiting. Sure they're not. <laughs> Any of us that's had children, we understand that their patience is very, very limited, isn't it? And the old joke, and it's not a joke really because it's true, if you decided to take them out for the day, to take them to some special place, within the first 10 minutes they're saying, are we there yet? And you get that the whole journey. Are we there yet? 
And teenagers, teenagers are even worse. You spend your teenage years wishing uh, you were this or wishing you were that or wishing you had this or wishing you had that or wishing you were there or wishing you were here. We just seem to be wishing our lives away whenever we were teenagers. And whenever you're in your 20s and your body's strong and your mind is strong and you've studied hard and, and you're waiting for your career opportunity to come and you can hardly wait. You, you know, those doors seem closed and you want to push those doors open. We're so impatient for many things. Jesus, during all of those teen years and all of those 20 years, he had to keep saying to himself, not yet. I know what I need to do. I know what I've come to do, but not yet. Alexander the Great, uh, he rose to power, took his father's throne whenever he was 20 years old. And he wanted to go forth and conquer. And the Greek army was the greatest army in the world at that time. And he was the greatest military leader of all at that time. And within just a short 12 years, he had conquered the whole then known world. But he died at age 32, a broken man, lamenting that he had no more worlds to conquer. He was like a shooting star. He shone brightly for a short period and then he burned out and then it was gone until today. He's just like a footnote in history. But Jesus had the whole world to conquer for a different reason and by a different way. And he had a very short time to accomplish it. Just a little over three years. He waited three decades to do a work that would only last three years. Generally speaking, we need a lot of patience to navigate this life. A farmer knows that he's not going to reap the day he sows. He knows there's a lapse of time between seed time and harvest time, and he's got to have patience. A forester knows it's different planting willow trees than planting oak trees. Willow trees grow very, very quickly, but oak trees, it, sometimes it takes them hundreds of years to become that great majestic yoke. Mushrooms grow overnight. Apples don't. Spiritually speaking, also, we, we need a lot of patience to navigate our, our spiritual lives. And here's our text, Hebrews 10 and verse 36. For you have need of patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You think when you had done the will of God that everything would happen instantly. Everything would just fall into place and click into place immediately, but it doesn't. And that's why the writer says, after you have done the will of God, you have need of patience that you may receive the promise. Abraham, Abram and Sarai had to wait 25 years for Isaac to be born. Moses had to wait 40 years in the wilderness before he was to become the deliverer that God intended him to be. Joseph had to wait 13 years from the pit to the palace. And so waiting is an everyday fact of life, whether it's in the natural or whether it's in the spiritual. It's unavoidable, it's inescapable. And so guess what? We're going to have to deal with it because it's not going to go away anytime soon. Now, why should we think that our spiritual lives should be any different? We're just as prone to become impatient and frustrated in our spiritual lives when we're put on hold, so to speak. Isn't it so annoying when you ring up a government office or some big company and they put you on hold? And sometimes you're on hold that long, the thing times out and you've got to start all over again. It's so annoying, isn't it? We get so impatient and frustrated. 
But sometimes God puts us on hold, and that's frustrating too, having to wait and wait. Why do you think God made patience a fruit of the Spirit? Of course, there it's called long-suffering, but it's the same thing, because he knew that we would need patience. And to navigate this life spiritually, we need a lot of patience. Doesn't the Bible speak of those who, through faith and patience, how they inherit the promises? So therefore, delays are just part and parcel of everyday life. But why, why delays? Why do we have to wait for the answer to prayer? Why do we have to wait for that breakthrough or that dream to be fulfilled or that promise to come true? Well, here's a couple of things today to show us why we have to wait. Sometimes the delay is on God's side. Sometimes it's God who causes the delay so that he may be glorified and in the end that we may be grateful. We may not feel that at the time, but actually, if God delays something in our lives, it's for his glory, but it's for our good. Abram in Genesis 15 and Sarai, he was 75, she was 65. And he was complaining to God that he was old now, and he, and he says, I have no heir, I have no son on heir. And I don't want everything to go to my to my, uh, the one who's, who's second in command to me. I, I don't want everything to go to this one. I, I need an heir, I need a son. And God said, okay, I'll give you an heir, I'll give you a son. But you see, he's 75 and she's 65. A son born to them at this time, although it was improbable, but it wasn't impossible. But then in Genesis 16, 10 years later now, Abram is 85 and Sarah is 75. And so a son born to them at this stage, at least for Sarai, it would be going beyond improbable to impossible, but not for Abraham. He still could produce children. But in Genesis 17, now it's impossible for both of them. He's 99 and she's 89. Can you imagine? You know, when, when all natural hope was gone, but yet Abraham still believed in spiritual hope, he still hung on to that promise and even though it was delayed and delayed and delayed, and even though it was frustrating, terribly frustrating, that God had a purpose in the delay. You know, God tests us when he delays something in our lives. And it got to the place where it wasn't possible, humanly speaking, biologically speaking, so that when this child was born, God would get the glory, and certainly they would be very, very grateful indeed. And sometimes the delay is on our side. Sometimes it's simply because we're not ready yet for the plan that God's got for us. We're not ready yet to step into what God really has for our lives. You know, Jesus said to his disciples one time, he says, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. You're not ready to hear it yet. I will tell you, but you're not ready just yet. John 16 and 12. Sometimes it's just because we're not mature enough to handle the plan he's got for us. We're just not mature enough. We're just not ready for it. We'd really, really mess it up if we had it too soon. So God wants us to become much more mature. Moses, when he was 40 years old, he thought at that point, I'm ready to be the deliverer that I know I was born to be. I, I'm ready to do this now. And so he, he, he saw an Egyptian abusing one of the, his Hebrew brethren. 
And I thought, well, well, now's the time to start. This is my opportunity. I, I'm ready to be the deliverer. And so he took his opportunity and he killed that Egyptian and he buried him in the sand. And he thought, I'm ready now. That's me started. I'm the deliverer. I'm ready to go. But he wasn't. And the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting and he intervened. And one turned around and says, are you going to kill us like they killed the Egyptian? And suddenly he realized he was found out and fear gripped his heart. And he ran to Midian. And for the next 40 years, he was out there in the wilderness looking after his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. But during that 40 years, you see, God was going to teach him some things. God was going to show him 40 years prior, he just wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to, to take that mantle of being the deliverer of Israel. But then after 40 years in the wilderness, God shows up in a burning bush and God commissions him. Now he'd been called all of his life. He'd been called from his mother's womb to be the deliverer, but now God commissions him. And sometimes there's a period between your call and your commission. Sometimes you know I'm called to do something. I know I'm called to do this or that, but it's so it's so long before that actually you're commissioned to do it till that moment comes when you step into that, even though in your heart you know, but it hasn't happened just yet, publicly at least. And that was the same for Moses. Now it took him 40 years. And after 40 years, God comes to him and God tells him, now's the time. Now I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And then Moses, he says, well, well who am I? Who, who, who am I to go and do this? You see, all of that bravado 40 years prior, all of that impatience to do God's will, all of that, I'm ready for it now, and he wasn't. He was far from it, actually. He wasn't the meekest man who ever lived, as I would say later about him. He wasn't like that, because he had grown up in Pharaoh's household. You know, he had been highly trained. You know, he, he, he was used to dealing with international uh, situations and local situations. He, I mean, he, he, was, he was a man who would be a linguist. He would be smart. He'd be clever. And so when the time came, he thought, I have all the tools to be the deliverer. You know, I'm ready now. But he wasn't ready. But now 40 years later, God says, you're ready. I want to send you back. But now all of the stuffing's knocked out. All of that self-confidence. And all of that impatience and all of that, here am I ready to, all of that was gone. And now God has to do some coaxing now. Now he's meek, now he's humbled. He says, who am I to go? And what if I go, who am I going to say sent me? Well, God says, tell your people that I am has sent you. I am that I am. And that's the great name of God. He says, well, what if they don't believe me? He see, he's humble now. He, 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 he hasn't got a big head anymore. You know, he's no ego anymore. He's humbled. And so God says, well, what's that in your hand, that staff? Throw it down. And he threw it down, it turned into a snake. And it scared the living daylights out of Moses. <laughs> he began to run. And God says, no, go, grab it by the tail. Now, it takes a little bit of courage to grab a snake by the tail. It's not recommended. So he grabbed it by the tail and it turned into a staff again. Now he says, put your, put your hand into, into your clothes, into your bosom. Put your hand in there. And he did that. Take it out. They took it out. It was full of leprosy. He says, now put it back in again. He put it in again. Take it out. They took it out. And it was back to normal. It was completely whole again. So God was giving them signs. And he says, if they don't believe that, he says, take a bowl of water and pour it out into the sand and it'll turn into blood. 
Wow. I mean, what signs that God has sent him. And he needed all of that. He needed that reassurance again. Again, because now he's humbled, now he's meek. He needed that reassurance. And so he would have to go back and he'd have to make no more excuses. But one final excuse. He said, but Lord, I'm not a good speaker. I'm no good at public speaking. I'm slow of tongue. You know, he was trying to make every excuse not to do this. And God says, don't worry about it. Uh, Take your younger brother Aaron with you. He'll be your spokesman. And so the rest is history. He became that great deliverer. But it took all of that period. We had to patiently wait and wait and wait because God was knocking off the corners. God was buffing him down, making him smoother, making him to be able to be the man that he intended him to be. And that's why sometimes we've got to wait for that commission because we're not ready for it yet. But God's making us ready. He's getting us ready. He's working in our lives. So sometimes the delay is just simply on our side. We're just not ready for it. Jesus' disciples couldn't wait for him to set up his kingdom. I mean, they they had it all planned out already. I mean, James and John said, well, those two seats at your right hand and your left when you come into your kingdom, we want those to be our seats. We want to sit in your right hand and your left. But they weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for that power or that authority. In fact, none of them were. And and Jesus' trial and crucifixion showed that up very, very clearly that none of them were ready to be able to handle that. But Jesus said later on in Matthew 19, verse 28, he tells them that the day would come whenever they would sit on 12 thrones governing the 12 tribes of Israel, but not yet. Not yet. They were a far cry from being to be able to do that yet. But he was working on them, and he would work on them. God has many tools which he uses to fashion and to mold our lives. Sometimes it's faith and patience. Other times it's success and reward. On occasions it's persecution. Sometimes it's favor. Sometimes reversal and loss. But one of the most difficult things to deal with are delays. Dealing with delays is not easy. God's delays will test us like nothing else. It will test our faith. It will test our patience. It will test our trust. It will test our weaknesses. It will test our strengths. Metal that's going to be used uh, in a one-story building. It has to be fired. It has to be caused to be made strong. But if it's going to be used in a 10-story building, then it's got to be much stronger. I mean, it's really got to go into the fire and it's really got to be forged into really, really strong. It's tested to breaking point. God knows what our breaking point is. He knows what he wants us to bear, what he wants us to handle, and he knows exactly how much we can handle. We're not tested above that which we're able, the Bible says. He knows that, but yet he tests us for our own good, so that we can handle whatever comes along. The trouble of man is man cannot wait. Psalmist said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? (laughs) Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel, Lord, have you forgotten about me? Is this going to go on forever? The martyrs cried, O long, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, Revelation 6. How long, Lord? How long are you going to wait? We want to see 
uh, vengeance upon our enemies. How long is that going to be? Well, if you read that story, you'll see it's just a little while longer. They had to wait. Mary and Martha, you remember what they cried? Oh, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. In other words, they're implying, what kept you, Lord? What was the delay? They may be sent for you three days ago. You could have been here. And they're exasperated. They were so impatient because you couldn't blame them because their brother was dying. And they sent for Jesus, a close personal family friend. And yet he didn't come. Not the time appointed as they thought. And so they were so frustrated and actually a little angry that Jesus hadn't come to them. But of course we know it was going to be for his glory and for their good. And they truly would be grateful at the end of it because they were going to see a miracle. They were going to see a resurrection firsthand with their own eyes, with their own brother. They were going to see him walking out of that grave with his grave clothes on. What a miracle that would be, that resurrection. They were going to get to see that. That would be right in front of them. And at the end, they were glad that Jesus waited. King Saul, 1 Samuel 13, he had been appointed to be king. Samuel the prophet had anointed him to be king over Israel. And one of the first things he wanted to do was to take on the Philistines. The Philistines were very, very, very strong. And so Samuel says, well, I want you to go to Gilgal, and I want you to wait there seven days. And then I'm going to come, and we're going to have peace offerings, we're going to have burnt offerings. But just wait till I come. You know, and, and God had warned him at, at his anointing uh, to be king. God had warned him on the whole nation to trust God, to wait on God. You know, don't get ahead of God, just trust God. And so there he is in Gilgal. And there he finds that he is heavily outnumbered, tremendously outnumbered, hadn't got a hope. In fact, his, his soldiers were deserting left, right, and center. And he's getting more and more frustrated and more and more impatient because Samuel hasn't come. And at the end of the seven days, he still hasn't come. And so he decides on his own initiative this is where getting ahead of God causes you problems. He just said, well, I'm going to do a burnt offering. I'm going to do a peace offering. Forget Samuel. Forget the prophet. I'm the king. Who needs the prophet? I'm the king now. I can do this. And so after he had just done that, Samuel comes and says, what is this you have done? So what have you done? In other words, I told you to wait. But listen to what he says. First Samuel 13, he says, because I saw that you came not within the days appointed... Because I saw that, I, I decided, I, I, I made up my mind, I was going to do this. Do you know that caused him untold trouble? And the whole nation, in fact, if he just had awaited on Samuel to come, even though Samuel didn't come in that time appointed, but you see, God was testing him. God was saying, would he wait? Would he listen to the prophet? Would he wait on the prophet? No, no, he's the king now. He can do what he wants. And there's the danger in our lives. Sometimes we feel we're ready to do what we want to do, regardless of what God has said. We're not going to wait on God. We're not going to be that patient and wait and wait and wait. We're going to do it right now. And then that gets us into all kinds of problems and troubles. Why can't we wait? Is it because life is too short? It's too unpredictable? Is it because we tend to live for time instead of eternity? You know, when you think about it, time is such a tiny, tiny, tiny part 
of life's existence for us. We're going to live all eternity. And time is such a tiny part. And it'll soon be over. And maybe that's why sometimes we get impatient because we see the clock is ticking. But if we trust the Lord and be patient to him, things will work out differently. But is it because maybe we can't trust God to keep his word, to come up with the goods? Abram and Sarah's impatience produced an Ishmael. Boy, that caused a world of trouble. And even to this day, it's caused troubles in the Middle East. Israel's impatience produced a Saul. You see, the people said to Samuel, they said, we want a king like all the other nations around us. And up to that time, God was ruling. It was a theocracy. It was God rule. And basically what they were saying, we don't want God rule anymore. We want a monarchy. We want a king to rule over us like the other nations. And Samuel warned them this was a bad idea. This was not a God idea. This was a bad idea. But they wanted that. They were so impatient. They wanted that. And God says, okay, I'll give you a king. And he gave him Saul. And boy, they had a world of trouble when they got Saul. They really did. But you see, they wanted. And they wouldn't wait on God. They wouldn't trust God. They wanted what they wanted. Rebecca's impatience robbed her 20 years company of her beloved and favored son, Jacob. Ha! Ah, she favored Jacob so much over Esau. And her and her husband concocted that plan to get the birthright into Jacob's hands. It cost her 20 years of being apart from her beloved and favored son, Jacob. So why should we wait why should we wait? Because God's way is perfect. It's always perfect. I mean, if you wait on God, you'll get an Isaac instead of an Ishmael. You'll get a David instead of a Saul. If you wait, if you're patient. Lamentations 3 and 5, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. <laughs> no, wait at 40 days in the ark. And God remembered Noah. 120 waited 10 days in that upper room. They didn't know how long they were going to be there. They didn't know what was going to happen the day of Pentecost. The Lord says, go and wait there. And they waited there 10 days. And then the Holy Spirit fell in great power and glory upon them. Joseph waited two years in that prison cell. Two years. An innocent man. And with him in that cell, that prison was uh, the butler and the baker of Pharaoh. And remember they had dreams. And Joseph told them interpretations of the dream. Basically it was baker, Pharaoh's going to take your head off. But butler, you're going to be reinstalled back into the job, into the position you had uh, as, as Pharaoh's butler. But when that happens, he says, please remember me. Remember me. I'm an innocent man. Remember, talk to, to Pharaoh about me. And of course, whenever the butler got his job back, he totally and completely forgot all about Joseph. Hadn't a bit mind about him until two years later, until Pharaoh had that dream. And when Pharaoh had that dream, suddenly, suddenly, the butler remembered. And he said to the king, he says, I remember when I was in prison, he says, there was this Hebrew slave and we had dreams, the baker and me, and he interpreted the dreams and they were perfect. They were just exactly as happened what he said would happen. Pharaoh said, send for him. And again, the rest is history. But you see, two years he was 
lying in that prison cell. Two years of his life, a young man. And yet he was being tested. He had to wait. And when the time was right, when Pharaoh had the dream, then and only then could he be released from that prison. And then God highly promoted him to become the vice regent of all of Egypt and saved his whole nation because of that. Psalm 37 and 3, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hand. Aren't you glad for that? That your times are in God's hand? Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, God has a due season for us. If we faint not, if we do not lose heart. Why should we wait? Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which is great recompense of reward, for you have need of endurance or patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. I love Lamentations 3, 26. We're to wait in hope and quietness. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. That's hard to do because we get anxious, we get uptight, we get restless. But he says to quietly wait for the Lord, to be at peace waiting for God's plan and God's will to work itself out in our lives. How long should we wait? Until the answer comes, until the breakthrough comes. Daniel had to wait 21 days. From he prayed that prayer when he was needing an answer from God, when the angel came, the angel says, God heard that prayer. The first day you prayed, God heard it, but it's taken 21 days for the answer to come. Abraham, 25 years. Joseph, two years in the prison. Even Jesus had to wait those 30 years before he launched his ministry. Adoniram Judson, the great Baptist missionary, spent six years in Burma Six years before he had his first convert. It took him 12 years to get 18 converts. And he was in prison for 17 months at one time. And by the time he died, he had 8,000 converts. He had raised up 100 churches and he had 163 missionaries. And he translated the whole Bible into Burmese. It took him 24 years. And today... Burma or Myanmar as it's called today has got the third largest number of Baptists worldwide beyond America and India but those first six years those first 12 years he had to be so patient and trust God and do what he was called to do and yet trust God in all of it William Carey the great missionary to China or to India known as the father of modern missions. He was seven years in India, seven years before he had his first single soul won to Christ, but he ended up translating the New Testament into 40 languages that gave the scriptures to about one-third of the then world population. And in the end, he founded churches and colleges and orphanages and leprosy missions. He did a fantastic work, but he had to be very, very patient. Jesus had enormous patience with his disciples. Enormous patience. You know, sometimes he got a little frustrated. Sometimes his patience was tried right to the very limit. 
You know, a father came to his disciples about his son. He said to the disciples, my son, has, he takes seizures and he throws himself into the fire and into the water. Can you do something? And the disciples couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything. And, the, and Jesus said in Matthew 17, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy to me. And he brought the boy to Jesus and he cast that devil out of him. And then they had a whole discussion why they couldn't do that. But, but you can see there that Jesus, even Jesus, the Son of God and his humanity, his patience was being tested to the very limit. Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection and how they were walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem and Jesus joined them and he was beholden from their eyes. They, they didn't recognize who he was. And he walks along and he says, he says, what are you talking about? He says, why, why, why the long faces? Why do you look so sad? And he says, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Are you the only one that doesn't know what's been happening these days? And how Jesus of Nazareth, a, a great mighty prophet, one that we thought would be the Messiah, do you not know this? Are you a total stranger? And then Jesus says, oh, Jesus says, oh foolish ones, and slow in heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Did you not know? Did you not read in the prophets about me? About this happening? Are you so slow you didn't see it? And then, beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded unto them. In that long journey to Emmaus, he expounded unto them exactly who he was and what he had come to do and how it was foretold through the prophets and through the law. And then suddenly they realized who he was. For three years, Jesus taught his disciples. He mentored them. He coached them. And then in the end, when the big test came, all of them failed him. All of them failed him. And the big test came. One even betrayed him. One of his best friends even denied he ever knew him. And all of them forsook him and fled. And yet, in spite of all of that, such was the patience of the master. In spite of their failures, their weaknesses, their lack of depth, their unbelief, he still wanted them, them same ones, to be the ones that would carry on his mission to the ends of the earth. And of course, that's exactly what he did, wasn't it? In the resurrection, then he met with them, and he encouraged them. He told them to wait, ten, to wait in, in the, the upper room. And then after 10 days of waiting, the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Ghost fell, and they were completely transformed. And then they went out to the ends of the earth to proclaim his most wonderful gospel. If it wasn't for those same disciples, if Jesus hadn't had the patience with them, and if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here today as believers. It was because he had the patience with them to teach them, to train them, and forgive them, and encourage them to go again, and get up and go. And they did that. And they became martyrs for Christ, except John. And that's how we're here today. That's how we got the gospel. Because of his patience with those failures with those ones who let him so terribly down, and yet he still believed in them, and he still encouraged them, and he sent them out in new power, and they shook their word for Christ. We're going to finish. Second Peter 3 and 9. In the NIV it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. You see, Peter was saying, people were saying in Peter's day, he says, well, you see, he kept saying the Lord's going to come back, but he hasn't come back. You know, we've heard these things from old, and it's never happened. And they scoffed. They were scoffers. And Peter says, well, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness. He is going to come back. And he's being very patient with you because he doesn't want you to perish. Isn't that wonderful? The reason why we haven't perished today is because the Lord has been very, very, very patient with us. Yes, there's some of you, maybe you became believers when you were children and you still kept on with the Lord. But some of us, it took us years to become believers. And all that time, the Lord was so patient with us. He waited. He was so generous. He was so forgiving. He was so gracious with us. And he won us and he wooed us to his side. Aren't you glad for that today? Aren't you glad he was patient with you? I'm glad he was patient with me. I, I wasted years when I could have been serving him and I didn't. And when I look back on my life, that's why one biggest regret, wasted time when I could have been serving the Lord. But he was patient with me and he waited and waited and he won me and wooed me and gave me a calling and gave me a life to live. So what about you today? I know he's been patient with you as he was with me. He's patient with us every day, isn't he? Sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we get it wrong. We feel ashamed. We feel embarrassed. And yet in his patience, in his patience, he brings us back. And he woos us back. And he dusts us down and he sends us off again. Has he done that with you? Can you look at your life and thank God today because he was very, very patient with you? I can look at my life and I can say that. Yeah, man, he was patient with me and he still is. Aren't you glad for that today? So let us pray together. And if you're in a situation today where you're frustrated, you're uptight, you're saying, Lord, when is this going to happen? I'm nearly burnt out waiting for this. Just be a little bit more patient and just keep trusting the Lord. He's working things out on your behalf today. Even as I speak, he's working things out on your behalf. He knows what he's doing better than we would ever know. So let's trust him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your tremendous patience with us. Lord, amidst all of our blunders and mistakes and mess-ups, and yet, Lord, in your mercy and in your patience, you wooed us and you won us to yourself. So we give you thanks for that. We pray, O oh God, today that as we now be patient, waiting on your perfect will to unfold in our lives, give us the strength, Lord, to be patient and wait and trust you every day. For, Lord, you love us. You want the best for us. So we give you thanks. So bless us, Lord, as we part today and as we patiently wait on your will to unfold in our lives. Help us, Lord, to study your word and to look at those who have gone before the patience of the saints and let us be encouraged to wait and wait upon the Lord and do his perfect will. This we pray in Christ's name.